0: morning, everyone. It's my pleasure to see all of you here again today. Can everyone hear me all right? Great. Before we begin, I'd like to ask the Lord one more time to be with us. I ask that you would bow your heads while I kneel. Loving Father in Heaven, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. Thank you that we have the honor and privilege of worshiping you together in freedom and in safety and in the fellowship of those who love you and want to serve you. Lord, thank you so much for teaching us throughout this weekend and I would like to ask and thank you, Lord, for teaching me through this lesson that I'm about to share. I pray that I would be hidden behind the cross of Jesus Christ, and that he may be seen and felt and loved this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All of my presentations are always dedicated to the good Lord, but occasionally there are some secondary dedications as well. So I have actually a couple secondary dedications I'd like to make for this talk. There are actually two missionaries, well potential missionaries to the country I'm going to be talking about here in the audience, uh Laura and Brian. Um, Brian actually was responsible for a big part of last night's presentation. Weren't you blessed by what I shared last night? I can tell you that none of the pictures would have worked at all if Brian had not helped out. This weekend, we were actually not allowed to use pictures in the gazebo because the projector wasn't strong enough. And Brian told me as I was eating a meal, he's like, well, we've got a, a great one at, uh, at my church. I can go get it right now. I said, great. Go get it right now. And he got me a screen and a projector. So I'm very grateful uh, for your help. Uh, Brian, that meant a lot. I believe that seeing uh, someone is is very important for all of us because certainly we can all trust in the Lord and see how He has led us, but it is very helpful we can see and touch someone. And that's why the Lord in His providence uses us to reach people. They need to see us. They need to talk to us. They need to hear us. I'd also like to uh, pray that Laura would be blessed as she prepares to leave for a year to Peru at the end of this month. I pray that this presentation may help you on your way. Do you recognize anyone in this picture? (laughs) Yes, there's several people I'm sure that you recognize. This is just a part of our team from Peru, and I'm actually going to take this out just so I have a little freedom to move around. What I like most about this picture is that it represents what I believe heaven will be like in many ways. We're told that heaven will have every nation, tribe, kindred, tongue, and people, right? And I can tell you that there are people from every part of the earth in this picture, from every race, from not every language, but several languages. And this is our group right outside our hotel. Most of our time in Peru was spent in missionary work, doing either evangelism or health. But occasionally we got time to spend with each other in fellowship and eating out. Many times, though, our efforts were very primitive. We were basically teaching in the open air, doing evangelism with what very little resources that we had, either just papers or sometimes we had a chalkboard occasionally. Every once in a while, we could share in a church that was very nice and had a lot of supplies, but most of the time, we just used what we could with the people. We were sent in groups of two to the surrounding churches in the area of Peru, northern Peru. It was near Chiclayo, if any of you have been there. And the reason why we did that was twofold. The Lord sent the disciples out, how many at a time? two and two. Now, in Peru, there was a little bit more practical reason as well for that, since most people could not speak Spanish. So we had to have one person speak Spanish and one person who didn't speak Spanish. Now, the group decided, and I don't know how they came up with this logic, is that since I could speak both English and Spanish fluently, they'd just send me off by (laughs) myself. And I said, well, wait, two and two, don't we? And they said, no, 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 it's okay. And they sent me to the most remote church in the entire area. And when I say remote, there's no roof on this church. There's no floor. There's no walls. There's just like rebar with some concrete and some maybe thatch. But I can tell you that I am so thankful that I was sent off into the wilderness because it's oftentimes when we're in our greatest extremity, that God has his greatest opportunity. I arrived there at church, and how many of you have been to a third world country before? Now, how many of you have been to a church in a third world country before? Now, when you arrive at that church, if you are a foreigner or outsider, what is it assumed that you will do? Not just teach. What else are you going to do? You're going to sing, yes. And what else are you going to do? You're going to give the sermon, yes. What else are you going to do? The children's story, the Vespers, the AY. That's right. You're basically going to be responsible for every single program that they can possibly put you up there for. That's just assumed. It's not an insult. They're not putting you on the spot. That's just the norm in third world countries. So when I arrived, they made sure that it was Tim Riesenberger for every presentation possible there. The amazing thing was, is that they were very appreciative. It didn't matter to them if it was short or long, if it was well-prepared or not. They enjoyed it, and they were very, very grateful. The other thing that really impressed me, I don't know if you've noticed, but we've been trying to do our best to keep the announcements away from uh, some of the more sacred parts. Of our presentations. Now, I want to share with you what they did. Most of the time, a church will have its announcements at the beginning or at the end of a service, correct? Now, that wasn't the case with Peru. They just didn't have the announcements at all on Sabbath. They waited not until after church service, not until after the potluck, not until after the luncheon. Nothing there were no announcements zero after the sun went down and it was dark and they were doing the vespers program they had their announcements and i was i was very very impressed because church also how many of you how many of you ever noticed that about 12 o'clock in every church service everyone seems to have this burning urge to look at their watch. Or up at the clock, or something like that. Or everyone starts to get a little impatient. Now I can tell you that they're not like that. They get there at church early, early in the morning. We're talking like eight, seven. This is like standard time for them. This is not early for them right now. They have their song service, they have their... Bible studies. They have their church service sermons. They have a very brief break when they go back and they have lunch. But then they're back again for an afternoon program, a campaign in the evening, and also a campaign at night of Vespers for sundown. Church is a a whole day event. And if you're not at church, you know what's going to happen? Church is going to come to you. They're going to send out a little delegation of elders and church members to your house. And if you don't want to come, they're going to have church right there in your home. This is kind of a common practice in many third world countries. And I'd say it is worthy of imitation. So we've come to the end of the day and they're having the announcements. And what they're announcing is the book that they're going to read for their midweek prayer meeting. I don't know if you've ever noticed that there were several printings of the book Great Controversy Made. Have you ever noticed that they have different titles and things like that? There was one printing, and I didn't even recognize it this first, until they, they held up the book that they were going to be using for prayer meeting. And I looked at it, and it's just this font from the 60s, and this artwork that's really not so great. It's called Cosmic Conflict. Did anyone see that version of the Great Controversy? And they held that up and I'm like, Oh wow. Not really the greatest cover or artwork or font, but that's okay. I guess that's alright. And they said, This is the book we're going to be using. And as they held it up, two of the church members weren't as put off by the cover as I was. They were sitting next to me. Their names were Corey and Heidi. And they said, oh, wow, we wish we could have that book. That would be fantastic. I said, well, you're going to have the book. It sounds like you guys are going to do it for prayer meeting. And they said, Tim, you don't understand. Just because we're studying this book as a church doesn't mean we get the book. We have to buy our books. Can you imagine coming to school, coming to a church, and having to pay for your Bible study lessons or your Sabbath school lessons? Can you imagine that? Having to pay for all the supplies and all the materials yourself, or you just wouldn't have them. And I said, Really? They said, Oh yes. We're gonna have to pay for this on our own. And you know, we would do anything for it. We would work as much as we could. And if we were able to, we would buy the book. And I said, Really? Is the book expensive? Oh yes. It's way out of our price range. It's it's probably a dozen solace. And that's their currency, the The soul, and that actually means the sun, interestingly enough. Now what it came about out to is about a dollar in US funds. And that was really expensive for them. It was out of their price range. And I said, Really? I mean, what if you work? They said we could work from now until when prayer meeting started, and we wouldn't have enough money. And I said, Really? I said, Well, what if it was possible for you to get this book? What would you do with the book? Oh. I would begin reading it immediately. I would study it with my family. I would share it with my friends. I would have all the chapters read already before I came to the midweek prayer meeting. And I would share with everyone. I said, oh, well, that's interesting. So I left the church and came back to my hotel. And I happened to find a couple copies of The Great Controversy in Spanish. And I took the two copies and actually gave it to the pastor of this church. And actually, he's not just the pastor of that church. He's the pastor of about a dozen other churches. And I said, do you know Corey and Heidi? He's like, oh, yeah. They're the members of our new church that's just started. I said, can you give these two books for them? And he said, are you sure? I said, yes. And he said, thank you so much. I said, it's okay. We had extra copies. He's like, all right, I know they will appreciate this. So he took the books. And I have a question to ask you. Have any of you ever given someone a book? Now, have any of you at a later date ever asked that person, hey, do you remember that book that I gave you? Did you ever read it? Have you ever asked someone that question later? Have you ever found them kind of shifting nervously and kind of looking around and saying, oh yeah, that was, that was a really great book. When actually, perhaps five minutes ago, they were leafing through the last couple chapters just to kind of have something meaningful to say to you. Well, I haven't quite finished the whole book yet. But uh, what I've read has been a real blessing to me. And that might have been the back cover. Have you ever found that sometimes when you give someone something, they don't really appreciate it that much? Has anyone ever given you a book? Have you ever? No, 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 don't answer that question. (laughs) (laughs) Oftentimes we find that perhaps what we think is very valuable is not as valuable to someone else. I can tell you, though, that I had the privilege and opportunity of seeing these two church members again. We were asked to do a medical campaign in a different area of Peru, bless you, but not so far away that the surrounding churches couldn't come to it. We saw several hundred patients just in one day. It was so busy. I had to get everyone possible to help me out. And I basically said, look, I'm the only physician here if you're a nurse or even someone who's interested in health, just talk to the patients. And if you can figure it out, just you know, do the best you can. If you really can't figure it out, then just send them to me. Because I was just overwhelmed with patients. But interestingly enough, Heidi and Corey were actually helping out with the hydrotherapy station. And I thought, oh, it's about three days later. I wonder if they've gotten the book already. And so I came over to uh, Corey and I said, Hey, did, did did you guys get the book that I sent you? Oh yes. Thank you so much. We we really appreciate it. And I thought, Oh we'll we'll see how much you appreciate it. So so did you read the book? Oh yes. We've begun reading it already. We're already finished with the chapter that we're going to study for prayer meeting. I've already been sharing it with my mom and with my friends. And I'm like, Really? I was very impressed. It already begun to read this book, just within days of the present, of, the, of receiving the gift. There are plenty of seats inside. If, if we can maybe move to the center a little bit and make room on the outsides. There's just a few more people who'd like to have seats. Thank you. It was very refreshing to me to see someone desire God's Word so much. It's also very refreshing to me that someone left this bottle of water here for me. <laughs> Thank you <laughs> to whomever did that. I really appreciate it. I can tell you, though, that the, the most impressive thing about this story was not really the fact that they appreciated the gift, though. It wasn't really even the fact that they had started reading it Although, that was very surprising, too. It wasn't even the fact that they had started sharing it as well. Although, that's very impressive, too. I think all three of those things are very important things to remember about this story. That they wanted that book more than anything else. They immediately acted on it when they received it, and they immediately shared it as well. But that wasn't the most impressive thing to me. What was the most impressive thing to me, and honestly, when I went back home and began contemplating this fact, it actually moved me to tears several times. The most moving part of this story is that this is actually Heidi and Corey. Heidi right now, which is at the bottom here, is awaiting the arrival of her two front teeth. She's six. Corey is nine. You see, when I came to this realization, I understood that I didn't love God's Word. I thought I did. But my efforts and my zeal and desire for God and to know Him was nothing compared to these little children. I was ashamed, actually. And I don't know if any of you have ever read The Great Controversy, but there's some very, very powerful chapters in it. Uh, one of them answers questions that I believe all of us have. It's called The Origin of Evil. And all the chapters after that are very, very riveting. I went back and read that section seven times, and then I read the whole thing twice. I went through it. Because I realized that I had a lot to learn about What it means to serve God. I want you to think very carefully about this as you open your Bibles now. Open your Bibles to Psalm 119 and verse 99. And I'm going to be sharing with you the key to understanding the Bible. I think just in the story alone, you understand what the key is. But we'll share a few texts To kind of give you some more ideas. Psalm 119, verse 99 and 100. This is David speaking. And what does he say? I have more understanding than who? How many of my teachers? That's pretty impressive, right? How would you like to understand more than David Asherick, Dr. Pippin? It says, all my teachers. Now, why is it that David has that understanding? Tell me. Because why? Because God's testimonies are his meditation. Now, what does it mean to meditate on something? To think about it. Digest? How many things are you focusing on at the same time when you're meditating on one thing? One thing. Pretty straightforward. You're not driving the car to work. You're not eating your breakfast while you're reading your Bible. You're not working out at the gym and listening to your iPod. Not that these things are bad. I think that you should listen to God's Word at every opportunity but let me assure you that that is not enough. You must take time to focus on God and God alone. Every desire, every feeling must be channeled to one and single purpose. What did Heidi and Corey want more than anything else? They wanted God's Word. They were focused in on it. They tried to plan to get it. They wanted nothing else. They focused on God and God alone. When they received that book, they concentrated all their efforts on that book. They didn't want to play with a toy or Barbie. Well, actually, they didn't have any toys, so maybe that's why. They were enjoying God's Word. And and this is a six-year-old, Remember? She actually shared with her mother because she needed help understanding the bigger words. But that did not stop her. You know, it's interesting, but another point is related to some of the other types of presentations I do. I often will do health presentations. And it's amazing to me. Whenever I give health talks, it depends on my audience. If I'm talking to a secular audience, this is not so much a problem. Now if I'm talking to a religious audience, and especially an Adventist audience, you'd be amazed at some of the questions I get. You know, I can tell you that every health presentation that I've ever presented, I'd say 90% of them, whenever I ask for questions, if someone will raise their hand and say, Dr. Burr, I have this question. I need to know you know, what do you think about mushrooms? How many of you ever heard that question before? I can tell you, I hear it all the time. And you know, honestly, I'm really tired of hearing about mushrooms. <laughs> because these questions come up when people are eating meat and drinking alcohol and snacking between all their meals, eating late at night. I'm like, guys, don't worry about the mushrooms, it's okay. Deal with the bigger things first. But isn't that the case? We always want to focus in on things that aren't really the issue, rather than obeying the things we know about. You know, I was at a church in Holland one time, and I shared an interesting article from JAMA, which is the Journal of the American Medical Associations. It's basically our premier journal for all physicians. It was in 1935, and it was an article on asthma and other respiratory type of illnesses. And it recommended various lifestyle treatments for that. One of the modalities that was a great help for asthma was cigarette smoking. Now, Grant, this was 1935, in the most respected and prestigious journal in the United States. And the reason why I brought this out is because the Seventh-day Adventist Church knew about the harms of smoking in the 1860s. And that was actually one of the things that got me interested in being an Adventist. As most of you know, I didn't grow up as a Christian at all. I became an Adventist when I was a junior in college. Now, interestingly enough, at the end of this presentation, I had a physician... And a nurse come right up to me. And he said, Dr. Reisenberger, I have to have the citation for that article. I need to have that article. I want to be able to present to people God's message for health and to show them that man's wisdom is so inferior. And he was just wanting this article. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll... uh, Can I I send it with your wife? Because I'm going to see her a little bit later. And he kind of looks down at the floor. Kind of shuffles a little nervously. Now this woman, who is a member of the church, and this man who is a member of the church, they lived together, but they were not married. And I felt like saying, you know what? Why don't I hold on to the article for a little while? Why don't you get married to this woman first? And then worry about sharing God's health message. But isn't that the case? We focus in and try to be very careful on the areas where we don't have a problem. And we think that that somehow will excuse us in the areas where we do have a problem. And that is the second key to understanding the Bible. Turn in John chapter 7, verse 17. John chapter 7, verse 17. And I actually like the way some other versions render this verse. John chapter 7, verse 17. If any man will what? Will do his will. Hey, can, you, can we move in again? Can we kind of scoot into the center a little bit? Just so our friends here on the side can get a couple seats. Can you guys just move into the center? Move this way. There we go. If any man will what? Will do his will. Or another version renders it willeth to do his will. Wants to do his will. Then what will happen? He will what? He will know of the doctrine. You see, the best way to understand God's word is to do what with it? Is to do it. The best way to receive additional light is to do what with the light you have? Use it. Obey it. Exactly. You're not, God's not going to give you something more complex until you understand and obey the things that are more simple. Because you see, the fact is, to know and not to do is not really yet to know. Is it? You see, the Bible uses the word know in a very serious way. It means to know and to have that incorporated into your entire being and existence and experience. What did Heidi and Corey do when they received God's word? They immediately did what? They shared it. They acted on it. They obeyed it. They acted on the light they had immediately. Immediately. They not only wanted it more than anything else, they meditated on God's Word. They desired it more than anything else. But they immediately acted on it when they received it. Friends, you don't need a PhD in theology, you just need to do what God says. And you don't need to be older. In fact, it's sometimes helpful if you're younger. Because you're more dependent on God and you have fewer distractions that take you away from his word. The last concept is also very simple and it's actually found in James uh, Luke chapter six Luke chapter six and verse thirty eight but before we go there I'm going to share an illustration with you. Why do you suppose that God can use these little children better than someone like myself or someone more educated or older? Why do you think that's the case? submissive Submissive spirit? They're meek? Absolutely. You know, I think 1 Corinthians chapter 1 shares it very well. Keep your hand in Luke. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 25 through 29. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 25 through 29. Because the what? The foolishness of God. Now, is God foolish? That's interesting is wiser than who? And the what? The weakness of God is what? Stronger than men. And I think that this is very important. It's not that God is weak or foolish. But if there was a part of God that was weaker or not as smart as the other parts of God, even that weak point of God would be smarter smarter than you and I. And would be stronger than you and I even the smallest aspect of God is bigger than all of us combined. For you see, your calling brethren, how that not many... Not what? Not many. Now, the point here is it says not many. It doesn't say not any. And that's what gives me hope. Not many wise after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble... Are called. But God has chosen what? The foolish things. For what reason? To confound the wise. And God has chosen what? The weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. And the reason is, verse 29, what does it say? That no one should boast in his presence. God is going to show us all that it is not the talents that you now possess or ever will possess that will give you success in spiritual life. But it has to do with your, as you say, willingness to follow God and do things His way. Now, why is that? Well, I'll share an illustration with you. Have you ever had a teacher share with you, well, if you shrink the earth down to this size, and they kind of give you an illustration with that. Have you ever heard that before in college or high school or anything like that? I have. Well, they said if you shrink the earth down to about mm, maybe three inches in diameter, you know, basically kind of a handheld little earth, if you were to look at the earth, what is the lowest point on the surface of the earth? Does anyone know? Death Valley or the Red Sea. I mean, there's a lot of ways to debate that. But what's the highest point on Earth? Mount Everest. Now, if you were to take the Earth into your hand and you were to slowly run your hand and compare the surfaces of Mount Everest and the bottom of the Red Sea, do you know what it would feel like? It would feel smoother than a cue ball on a pool table. Did you know that? And you see, that's how reality is. When God compares the very mighty of us, the very pinnacle of spirituality, the champion of His cause on earth, compared to the very lowliest disciple, there is no difference to God. Because He is so much bigger than all of us combined. It is not about being Mount Everest. It is not about having a high IQ. It is not about having many degrees. Because they're all the same to God. God can teach you more in one moment by His Holy Spirit than you could learn from all the great men of the earth. Why? Because He's God. You see, Heidi and Corey understood that concept. And I believe I agree with you, it's because they were childlike. They were submissive. Unfortunately, as we age, most of us tend to lose that aspect of our Christianity. Did anyone you, you ever like to climb when you were young? Anyone? I did. I would climb everything. <laughs> Any of you ever notice that there's like walls near a sidewalk and they kind of start low and then they get higher? You ever seen those walls? And they kind of get lower again at the end? I loved those things when I was a kid. My dad and I would be walking on the sidewalk and I would see one of those walls and I'd hop up on it and I'd get higher and higher and higher and I'd kind of walk and balance and pretty soon it'd be you know, quite a distance up off the ground. And then eventually you'd come to the end, right? And what do you think my dad would say at the end? Okay, come on down, jump down. And I'd just go, woo, and jump down into his arms. Had, he'd have no problem catching me. Now, as I got a little older, he probably still could have caught me. But when I got to the end and Dad said, okay, Tim, jump, what did I say? I think I'm going to climb down on my own. That's right. Now, was it because I didn't trust my dad? What do you think? Probably not so much. But who did I trust more now? Myself. That's right. I had a greater trust and dependence on what I could do rather than what my father could do. And unfortunately, that dependence is lethal to our spirituality. That self-dependence will destroy us And will keep us from understanding even the simplest passages in the Bible. I'm very thankful that God humbled me through two little children in Peru. And showed me how much I didn't love him. And showed me how little I valued his word and his precepts. But there is hope. (laughs) There is hope for all of us. You know, it's interesting, one of the other reasons I think that God uses young people and children is because, let's take a look at Heidi and Corey, they're six and nine, and they want to read The Great Controversy. That's insane. Now, who is obviously working here when you look at this picture? in their hearts. It's obviously God, right? Whereas if you see someone like me or Dr. Pippin or David Ashrick and they say, oh, you know, they're just so spiritual. We're tempted to say that, aren't we? Well, it's because they went to Arise, right? They went to Afgo, Or they went to such and such of an institution, right? Well, you know, a lot of godly people come out of there. We're, we're tempted to say that, aren't we? That means nothing. That means absolutely nothing. And I'm not downplaying Christian education. Praise the Lord. I think we all should do that. But the reason why God has to use young and humble people is because not only won't they take the credit to themselves, they can't. I mean, you look at them, and even if they were to tell you, well, this is because I've been studying for years. (laughs) They haven't even lived for years. You have no other option but to give the glory where? To God. You have no other option. You know it's not the six-year-old with the two front teeth missing that's going on. Does that make sense? That's why God has to use little children so often. Because someone like myself will take the glory to myself. And I will lead people to believe that it's somehow in you to understand God and His Word. That it somehow has to do with the efforts that you put forward to gain more of an education, perhaps the talents that you have, instead of the consecration that you give to the Lord and the dependence that you have completely on Him. You know, it's very interesting. You know, there's many things that we can learn from this lesson. But I pray the most important lesson is the one that Jesus shares with us in many of the Gospels, and I won't turn to them. I think you know it. Because ultimately, this concept is important to know, not just to understand God's Word, but it's even more fundamental than that. Because Jesus... Shared a concept with the disciples, and he said that unless you are converted and become what like little children, you will never enter where the kingdom of heaven. This concept is not only important to understanding god 's word but to our salvation. but the good news is is that the disciples responded. And they couldn't believe that it was possible. I mean, there was even an illustration where they were talking about someone who was not just not a child, but they were wealthy, had talents. And Jesus said, it's impossible with men. But the things which are impossible with men are what? Are possible with God. I'm thankful that though I'm a grown-up, and though I am educated, there's still a chance for me. Because remember that verse? It Did it say not any wise or not any? It said not many. That means there's a chance for you and I to slip in there by God's grace. I'm very thankful that the things that are impossible on my own and impossible with the world's wisdom are possible with God's wisdom. I'm going to make an appeal right now to each one of you. And I'm not going to ask you to come up to the front or anything like that. I'm going to ask you to think very carefully about your life right now. To take a few moments just to consider what you've learned here in this weekend. I believe with all my heart that God has been moving this weekend, don't you? I believe with all my heart that God has touched many people's hearts and broken many people's hearts because He's touched mine. Perhaps you've learned, like me, that you do not love God as you should, that you do not honor His Word as even just a little child but there's hope because it's 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 not not any it's not many (laughs) there's still hope for each one of us even though we're older we can still learn to be like a little child can't we God can work a miracle in our lives and I don't know what the obstacle is in your life I don't know what that besetting sin is I don't know what that character trait is. Perhaps the way you treat other people, or you think about other people. I don't know. But the good Lord knows. And the good news is, is that you can have it gone right now. I remember I was having a discussion last night with some people about when we are ready for heaven. Well, you know, you've got to go through a process of sanctification, this, that, and the other thing. And I shared a passage that I think makes it very simple. And actually, there's a lot of hope with it, too. We're told that if our heart is right with God today, we are ready if God should come today. That's an amazing concept, isn't it? You can have eternal life right now. Isn't that great? That's what I said. You can have eternal life right now. Seems like a concept, doesn't it? But it's true. Because when God has your heart He has everything else, doesn't He? When you give everything to God, He has you. And He has your future, too. He knows where you're going to go. It doesn't really matter where you are right now, but where you're going. It doesn't matter where you're at on the continuum. It matters how far you're willing to go. God would rather have you be 1% along the Christian walk, but willing to go 100% then 99.9% along that continuum and not be willing to take that last step. Does that make sense? He'd rather have you at the bottom of Peter's ladder but willing to climb all the way to the top than at the last rung and say, you know, I don't really need to go that far. Does that make sense? And I believe that all of us can do that right now. You can have peace with God right now. All you have to do is become like a little child. Give up your own ways. Give up your own thinking. Lay your preconceived ideas at the door. And allow Jesus in your heart right now. Let's kneel for prayer. loving Father in Heaven, we kneel before you now as a sign of our dependence and our desperate need for you. Lord Jesus, thank you for humbling me through two little children in Peru. Thank you, Lord, for rebuking me and showing me how little I cared about you and your words. But Lord, I, I, I want to be different. I want to change. And I know many of us in this room have felt the conviction of your Holy Spirit showing us our profound need and our absolute destitute condition without you. Lord Jesus, you know the decisions that are being made in every heart for baptism, for rebaptism, reconsecration. I don't know what they are, Lord, but you do. And as we are all bowed here, Lord, and our eyes are all closed, I pray that anyone who wants to give themselves to you in whatever way, Lord. If they have felt your spirit on their heart, that they would raise their hands right now. Lord, you can see the hands. You can see them all as they go up toward heaven. Lord, as the hands are outstretched, may it be a symbol of us reaching toward you, reaching toward heaven for grace, for strength, for mercy, for wisdom and salvation. Lord Jesus, help us all to learn from Heidi and Corey, to become as little children, and because of that, to enter the kingdom of heaven. In Jesus' name.